So one of the reasons why we don't have a pulpit is so I can wander around and pick on people. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. On your table, there were or there are uh, little cards. And what I'd like you to do today is we're going to do a little bit of something that is a little bit of a flavor of a very ancient practice that is still practiced today, an ancient spiritual practice. It's called Lectio Divina. Um, And if you don't have cards on your table, raise your hand. I've got more cards. And Lectio Divina is a way of reading and meditating on the scripture. And and what you're doing is, is you're opening your heart and your mind and your soul to the words in the scripture that God might be directing you to. So as I read the scripture, and I'm going to read it kind of slowly, just whatever, whatever words might jump out at you, you might write them down, or you might just note them in your head, whatever seems best to you. And if that word takes you somewhere in some reflection, go ahead and go with it. Okay, this is, this is I know that everybody drifts off during the sermon anyway, so this is an excuse to just go right off on a rabbit trail Because what we believe about that is that perhaps God is speaking to you through that word, through God's word, in a very particular way. And so that's what we're going to do just for the first part of, of this message time. So just listen to the word. And if you want to pull it up later on your phone or on your device, if you're with you, this is Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. So listen now to this word. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth And one who falls short of a hundred shall be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. 
I'm just going to invite you, if you're willing, just sort of randomly and in a good, loud presentation voice from where you're sitting, just to voice aloud maybe a word or a phrase that caught your attention in that, in this scripture. And just, if someone says something, just leave a little bit of silence after that, and then another person can say their word, and then another person can say their word after a bit of silence. Agreed? All right. Rejoice. Be glad. Flourish. Creating. Hope. Hope. Happiness. Happiness. Forever. Forever. New. New. Former things not not remembered. Enemies will become friends. Enemies will become friends. Shall not hurt or destroy. Shall not hurt or destroy. Work of their hands. Work of their hands. One shall not plant and another eat. One shall not plant and another eat. Ah, the serpent, its food shall be dust. Enjoy the work. Enjoy the work. The wolf and the lamb shall eat together. The light. It's always interesting to to do this sort of thing in any group, because some people will, the same words might strike them, for others a a different word will will strike them. It's a different way of interacting with the scripture, Instead instead of asking it questions, you let it speak to you, you let and trust that maybe the spirit is in the midst of what's being lifted up so that then you might begin to think about, well, you know, to ask the question of you, I wonder why that word meant something to me. I wonder why that particular phrase jumped out at me. And it's a great, it's a wonderful practice uh, because so oftentimes, especially in the West, you know, we're taught, when we're taught to read, we're, we're taught to read for comprehension, for meaning, to try to, to try to pull something out of the text that, you know, that makes sense, that has logic. Whereas it, when we trust in the Spirit, which Presbyterians have a really hard time doing, just let me, let me tell you, we're, we're very good about the intellectual. We're very good. I mean, that's one of the, we are, I was with ministers all this week in a, in, a, in a training, and we were talking about how Presbyterians lost the West. Why? Because we were so dedicated to having ministers that had such high educational levels, we couldn't churn them out fast enough to send them into the West of the United States to start churches. And that's why there are so many more Methodist churches, Baptist churches, and others, because they figured out a way to be able to get pastors out there to start churches, because that was the way that things did. You know, Methodist, Methodist pastors had this circuit riding sort of tradition. Their, their ministers were often relatively well-educated, but they, it was no big deal for them to have five or six different churches that they were raising up at the same time. 
So it's just an interesting sort of thing that we, we like to get up in our heads. And so I, I like to break it down a little bit and let, just open it up for the spirit to speak a little bit. Some background behind this uh, particular scripture is that for the people who were hearing this, for the Israelites that were hearing this, as far as we know about this, this time in history, is that the Israelites had been being persecuted. They had been, they had been you know, overrun maybe by the Assyrians already or were just about to, and we know that at some point the Assyrians would get kicked out by the Babylonians. And a lot of this gets predicted in, in the prophets. But they were in places where maybe they had gotten kicked off of their ancestral lands. And so they had built homes, but they weren't able to live in them. They had planted crops, but were not able to reap them. At this time in history, as is still happening in, in many places around the world, and until 100 years ago or so in this country it was happening, you know, women, women would get pregnant and children might be born, but they wouldn't live very long. Or women would die in childbirth. And life was, as one writer said, you know, famously, that life was nasty, brutish, and short. And so this vision, can you imagine if that is the place in which you live, where people die young, where children don't get to become adults, where you're getting moved off of your land or, or where your labor is not, you know, you're not being compensated for your labor in a way, meaning that you're putting all this labor in, but it's being taken away from you somehow. Imagine this word then to these people. I'm sure that it almost seemed impossible to them, like it probably does in some ways to us. That it seems like it's some sort of utopian vision that, that could never be realized on the earth. And maybe we're right. So oftentimes we, we believe in our power to create things. And we have amazing power. God has given us the Holy Spirit and really has given us the power of life and of death. But one of the things that we know from our theology is that human beings are broken. And that so oftentimes, even when we try to create utopias, they end up being dystopian. Think about the great religious cults or the religious things over the years where people have followed someone they thought was creating that new heaven on earth. And it ended up being a catastrophe. But in this, it is God who is creating this. It is God who will bring this about. It is God the, is the one that we are to put our hope and our trust in because this is God's promise and our hope. Our hope is in God, not in some power that we have to create things, but in God's power to work in God's way and in God's time to bring about God's purposes. And that's a very hard thing. I wrestle with that. I I struggled with how I wanted to talk about this today. Because if you know me, I'm not very Pollyanna. I'm not very pie in the sky by and by. I'm pretty pragmatic about things. And I, and I believe in the power of human beings to bring about so many things. 
And yet, I think our theology is right that even as we bring things about, there is sin in them, there is brokenness in them. And it is only in the power of God and in God's time that all things will be set right. But what I love about this passage is that it isn't, it isn't some, you know, pie in the sky by and by. We're not, we're not waiting for some fluffy heaven to come and everybody will just be lounging around sipping Mai Tais and having a nice banana or something, you know? It's, you will build homes and live in them. You will go through childbirth and your children will live. You will enjoy your work and you will have work to do and that labor will be compensated. That there is an embodiment here that is different than maybe some other visions of what God's eternal realm is like. It's really interesting to me because for so much of, of a lot of theologies is it's, we're just waiting here to, for God to come so that we'll be transported up to some heaven somewhere and everything will be perfect. Well, everything might be perfect, but it's still an embodied existence in the sense that we will still be the people that we are in terms of having things to do, of putting our hand to the plow, as we might say. And that there is honor in it, in the here and now. Now, I don't know if that's what heaven is exactly going to be like, right? I mean... I haven't been there and come back. And when we have somebody that I trust that's done that other than Jesus, then we'll talk to them about it. But in the here and now, our existence is to be embodied. We are to seek out good work. We are to seek to build homes and live in them. And we are to seek that for other people. In this in this vision, no more will we shoot each other. No more will human beings be sold or traded as property. No more will people not have meaningful work to do. No more will people be living on the streets. Because everybody We'll be together in community. This isn't about the individual and an individual faith. This is about a communal happening that God will bring about in God's time. And so we are to live into this life with joy, to do labor, to struggle in the world with this vision and to say, where is it, O oh God? Where is it, God? When is it coming? And when we pray the Lord's Prayer to say, your kingdom come, your will be done, to speak that with an urgency. Because this vision becomes for us so powerful that we want to see it realized here on earth. What's pretty amazing is, in this country anyway, many of us have built homes or bought homes, or share ownership with the bank, and we live in them. Many of us have, been, have had the opportunity to 
have children and to watch them grow up. Not all of us. We, many of us, have had labor and we've been compensated and rewarded for that labor. So in some sense, part, part of this is already true in our lives. And the gift of that is, I believe, that, that God blesses us to be a blessing to all the nations. That all people might begin to hear this vision and to struggle against the powers and the principalities to begin to work toward this, even though we know we probably won't bring it about with our own power. That's the limitation that we have as human beings. And again, it's a difficult, nuanced sort of thing that I'm trying to say here is the power that we have is almost infinite. And yet it is sinful and it is broken in a way that even our best efforts seem to take a sideways path. And so we put our trust and our hope in God that God would bring these things about. Again, prosperity in this frame-up is not about the individual, but it is about the community, that the community becomes blessed by God, that God brings this about. And it calls us today to an embodied kind of hope a living faith in the face of all the things that that fly right in the face of all of this. We continue to stake our claim and our hope in the one who sent his son, the one who conquered death and said death does not have the last word anymore. The powers and the principalities no more have power over us that we can work toward this vision of God's kingdom even in the face of the struggle and being thwarted by our own brokenness and by the brokenness of the systems around us, that we can continue to work and to hope and to not lose hope in God's coming kingdom. And so we live and we strive as if this kingdom is coming as if perhaps it is already here in some little places, trusting that God in God's time will bring it all about. And so I guess my word for you is beyond the word that you've been given, whatever that is, is that no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening around you, no matter what you see, no matter what troubles you, Trust in God. Live your life. Do good work. And serve the one who leads us into this new and glorious future. Amen.